1: Hard-working people, working hard for you and me, moving iron time and time again, through the years you'll find us here,
0: moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast, Markets with Sean Hackett, this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com and Tractor Zoom delivering insights. Uh, if you're looking for a great place to go track what's going on in the auction market, go to Tractor Zoom's Iron Comps and you'll see uh, all the information there that you need to track what's going on as far as pricing and where the market's headed, inventories, those kind of things out there in the auction market. There's about 500 independent auction companies that report to Tractor Zoom. So. Take advantage of that, and if you decide to use moving iron at checkout, and you get yourself a check, a nice discount. I um, am always gracious to have Sean Hackett on here to uh, talk about what's going on in the market. And a um, couple things: one is uh, Sean spends a lot of time in the soft markets, you know, coffee, sugar, orange juice, cotton, those kind of things, um, as well as uh, on the traditional, you know, corn, soybeans, wheat. On those kind of things, so we're going to spend a little time today talking about the soft markets. But I cannot um, do this podcast this morning without at least getting Sean's reaction to the report that came out yesterday. So, Sean, how are you doing today, bud?
1: I'm doing great, uh, Casey. Always, always, uh, I always love being on your show, and it's uh, um, I'm really thankful and grateful you uh, you give me this opportunity as well. So, well,
0: I I, I couldn't do it without you, Sean. So, yesterday, the USDA came out with a a very uh, bullish report um, about ending stocks and what that looks like via the WASDE report that came out. And, you know, there were some winners, and then there were some real big winners. And I think the two biggest winners, when I look at what's, what came out of that report, were wheat and cotton. And uh, I guess, what's your reaction to the report yesterday, and what are your thoughts moving forward here in the fall?
1: Well, I, I mean, I think when you look at the report, if you just wanted to sum it up, what it's telling everybody is, we're going to have to go through another grow, entire growing season in the upcoming cycle with no ending stocks. I mean, that, that at the end of the day, their conclusion is we don't have any buffer stocks for another year, and everything has to go perfectly well. Uh, and that's that is the message that was given yesterday. That despite a lot of conjecture, that. Um, the U.S. was going to save the day and have these big crops and trend line above trend line. They're, they are disagreeing with that. We've talked about on your show before that we didn't believe that we were going to be... nothing. We weren't looking at terrible crops, but we're not going to be looking at these trend line above trend line yields. And for them to move in August on corn, on wheat, on cotton, which they don't normally do, is telling you that they feel really comfortable that when they do their agronomy work starting in September... That they're going to verify that these yields are going to come up somewhat short and maybe they're going to have to lower the numbers even further. We think they actually have further to go before uh, we're done with it. So it means pins and needles Casey all the way into next summer. As you know we're not anticipating perfect great weather for the northern hemisphere growing season coming up with our forecast and so if we're even half right about the weather volatility uh, the, the the chaotic planting season and such that we're expecting to see, that's not going to sit very well with no ending stocks. So we're ragingly wildly bullish longer term on these markets going into the, uh, you know, going into the spring, summer of next year. And so this is a confirming message that, um, you know, we just didn't get the job done this year. The weather just, you know, the drought cycle was too severe and, um, and I'm glad to see they actually t- took a more proactive approach for once, Casey. Usually, they don't. They just kick the can, kick the can, and then somewhere later in the year, they, they come clean. I think they, maybe last year, they looked so bad, they're just trying to get, trying to get a little bit uh, more relevant again this year. But whatever the reason, they did come up with numbers that kind of agree with the work that we do and a lot of things that we've been saying on your show here for quite some time.
0: Yep. So. Okay, so let's talk about Cotton and cotton is uh last on uh whenever we did this last wednesday we uh, we started talking about uh what was going on in the cotton market and you alluded to the fact the cotton market was so far behind or the cotton growing cycle was so far behind because of wet cool weather and yada 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 and all these different things that start playing into that and now we're we're looking at you know, bulls opening up at at the best possible time ever, right during the peak of hurricane season. So, I mean, as you as you take a look at the cotton market and and via the report, and then you start looking at world ending stocks and how that all played into that. That's the first time I'd ever seen a report where on world ending stocks, the estimate and the actual amount were were different. You know, and typically they're if it's supposed to be you know ten whatever, then it's you know it's ten and ten. It's it's never different. And cotton was the one that that did have some different numbers there. So. Talk about the cotton market we see happening there.
1: Well, the big miss from what was expected was Texas. I mean, Texas is way, way off. I mean, they, they the numbers their numbers were way, way off the consensus. And remember, cotton is a hot crop. It likes warm, dry weather. It obviously needs moisture, but, I mean, it likes warm and dry. Um, that's what it needs. And it's been cool and wet all year long. And um, that's not... So that first of all has put the crop way behind its normal normal maturation cycle, and when you do that, you you start you hit yield, and you and you push off the key development phase further on into the season when weather tends to be more adverse. Like you said, hurricane season coming up, the bowls are going to be wide open later in the season, um, and so the USDA I think started to take a look at where we were uh, maturation wise. And what the crop was looking like, and it started to make some decisions that you know this is not a crop that's going to produce the kind of yield um, everyone has been thinking, or, or at least, the, and also they have been thinking. So it was a—it's it, one of the biggest misses I can recall. Uh, for, you know, Texas, the dominant cotton-growing state, it's one of the biggest misses I can recall from expectations versus U.S. data Report in a very, a very long time. It—it it, it was not even close to being right. Uh, in terms of what everyone was thinking, and so once again, that puts this market now pins and needles. You get a hurricane that comes into the South, the Deep South, Texas area, over the you know into September, with with a with a carryout that's already you know three million bales and falling. I mean, fireworks mm-hmm. uh, potential here, really, really big. Far- I mean, I we were talking about potential for a spike trade all along but with a recognition that the Texas crop could be so far off from what was expected you know now we're looking at something that could be some pretty some pretty crazy upside volatility here with a with a confirmed storm that could come in and really ruin the lat, you know that ruin that key phase for the cotton crop so you know we we're we're, we're pushing ourselves against that 95 cent level but i think it's going to i think it looks to me like we're heading to a dollar a pound here and potentially Quite a bit more if a hurricane really makes its way into Texas or the Deep South. It just um, just a pretty dynamic situation for the cotton market. This was a uh, big surprise. Big surprise.
0: Yep. Yeah, I was I was pretty shocked by it myself. So now let's jump over and talk about the other one that you have, have made you more elusive than, than anything when we try to record is is the uh, the coffee situation in Brazil. About every time you and I go to sit down and record a, a, a podcast, some freeze comes through Brazil and, and nips, the, uh, nips the coffee plants down there a little bit and makes you uh, busier than, than a dog with two tails. So I guess talk about that coffee market and, and, and what you see happening there.
1: Remember, it's a, a tree crop. We don't plant it every year. Um, so it's, it's, it's a tree crop. It goes through a, a cycle. Uh, if you plant a tree you got to wait three to five years for it to produce something. So you just can't turn the switch on if, if the price gets good. It takes time. So, so remember, that's very different than corn and soybeans. We had the worst drought in 100 years for, for the coffee areas of Brazil um, this, this last season. Worst in 100 years by far. We have arguably one of the worst uh, crops, coffee crops um, seen in a long time because of that. That harvest is just finishing up. That's bad enough. Um, the, uh, the problem with a drought like this is that the vegetative growth, Casey, that is that typically during the rainy season you, you, you get a t- typical growth of the tree limbs and from that you get these nodes that form from which the flowers can then develop in the following fall um, that produce the, the cherries that produce the coffee. Well that vegetative growth was off 15 to 20% because of the lack of moisture and the heat from this past season. And the nodes were off 15 to 20%, which means that next year's crop before the frost even hit we were already looking at a crop that was likely go- had 15 to 20% less capacity to produce than normal already. Now we remember, we haven't had a frost in Brazil a hard frost in 26 years.
0: So it wasn't that long ago, is what you're saying? Yeah,
1: 1994 is the last time we had a a hard frost. We've been predicting that this was a a year that had a high probability for a frost. We actually put out our podcast in February, went over all the reasons we thought that this was a year that we had a high likelihood of having a frost, given all the conditions from the research that we did. And sure enough, we had a double frost, two in a row, if you can believe it. Two hard frosts in a row in the, in the core coffee areas of Brazil. Now, that doesn't hurt the crop that's being harvested. That hurts the crop that's coming up. So, okay. so, so what happens is, is that if you have a frost, a frost means that you, get, um, that you freeze the outer limb of the branches and you freeze those nodes. And if you freeze them, they can't produce a flower, even if you get good moisture. And so it reduces crop potential. We went back and looked at all the hard frost that we've ever had going back to 1950. And we could not find an example where the crop potential didn't fall by at least 30% in the areas that were hit by a hard frost. The areas that were hit by hard frost uh, was about 40 million bags of production. So, so that means that if we take the 30% production potential down, that means a potentially... 12 million bags of production was hit by this double frost. Um, We always like to take the conservative route. We're going to go with a number that's 20% down. Um, And the reason we're doing that is because we want to make sure that we always give hard numbers that we can absolutely count on. Um, And if we're wrong, they're just going to be even bigger. So when we run the numbers between the lack of vegetative growth and Frost damage, you know, we come up with crop potential for Arabica, which is really what the New York futures trade is, Arabica coffee, which is your high-quality coffee. Robusta coffee, which trades in London, is your lower quality, your uh, Maxwell House coffee. Um, We think it's going to be around 37 to 40 million bags. That's down from 50 to 55, which would have been in a normal year. On top of the crop we just finished harvesting, which was 30 million bags, down from a potential of fifty. So, so when you run the numbers, we're about we're we're looking at twenty-five or thirty million less bags produced this past year and this upcoming year than was than should have been produced. It sets up the biggest coffee shortage potentially ever that you know that, that we're aware of.
0: So, are you saying there's there's typically fifty million bags of arabica of arabica, and you're saying there's going to be thirty million less, so we're looking at twenty million. Well, uh, <clears throat> this past year, the past, during the drought,
1: we're mm-hmm. going we're produ- we're to produce about 30 million bags. Okay? Okay. Um, now, remember, um, Brazil goes through what they call on-season, off-season. Right. It, it's a little cyclical. So, they have a bigger crop, a smaller crop. So, so last year was the off-season crop. It was supposed to be a little bit smaller. supposed to be about 45. It came in at 30. Okay? So, that's 15 15? million bags. Okay. of Less bags. Than, and that's pretty much confirmed.
0: And we know that occurred so it's they're not about i guess 75 percent of what they would normally would produce
1: so uh so so 50 <coughs> down to 30 I, you know that's something like 40 percent down right so now the now the on-season crop which is the one that's coming up uh-huh. that should produce between 50 and 55 because it's the bigger crop it's the, it's the on-season crop we don't think we're going to be able to produce more than 37 to 40 okay and, and, and that that's the best and that's if weather is perfect if we have perfect weather, everything's great. That's the best we can hope for.
0: Gotcha. Which is
1: a, which is another, you know,
0: yes. ten
1: to fifteen million bags.
0: So you're looking at about fifty percent, somewhere between, fifty to fifty five percent of a normal crop in the, in both those site growing cycles is what you're going to have hit the market.
1: Right. So so wow. uh, so so we're looking at twenty five to thirty million bags less production than would have normally been produced if they had had normal weather and normal crops. Uh To put that into perspective, the third largest producer of coffee in the world is Colombia. The loss loss from this past season and the loss we expect from the upcoming season is equal to two Colombia crops. So what we've lost is we actually... It's actually as if Colombia just decided not to have two crops, not to have a crop at all for two straight years. That's how... Big this number is. And there's no way to turn this supply spigot on quickly. There's just no way to do it. it, it you could plant all kinds of acres next season, gotta wait three to five years. Right. This is anything. So
0: it's the tea. <laughs> uh, well, it, it, what,
1: what, what has to happen here is we're we have, gonna have to get coffee prices up to a level that tells the marginal buyer of coffee to just drink less or, do, or, or drink tea or just something else. Monster energy
0: it. drinks in the morning. That's that's kind of the way to go.
1: <clears throat> and like like we talk about with grains, you know, no ending stocks. Mm-hmm. Every other weather anomaly we've had since 1970, whether it was the black frost of 1975, what was the double frost of 1994, whether it was the drought of 1985, we always had massive above ground ending stocks to fill the gap. Meaning that the thing went up, but the supplies there. Then once those supplies decided it was time to sell, crash and burn, game over. It's all over. Mm -hmm. We don't have any ending stocks. We don't have ending stocks. We don't have that massive above-ground stocks to fill this gap. It's not there for the first time. So we've never actually had this kind of a a deficit shortfall with no ending stocks. It's never happened before that I'm aware of. So I don't know what that means for prices or how high it needs to go. Only, Only the market and God know that. But... I don't believe $1.80 or $1.90 a pound is (laughs) anywhere near close enough to hurt or ration demand. Just put this into perspective. During the pandemic year, when pretty much the demand for everything got hit, coffee demand was actually up marginally that year. So it's really hard to hurt coffee demand, really, really hard. So the record high coffee price was set in 1977 at $3.50 a pound. We've never exceeded it to this day. I certainly would think with this kind of a supply shortage, the further on we get in you know, to this growing cycle, the further we start eating away at this, I would have to believe you know, that price level is going to be tested yeah. and potentially exceeded. What's interesting, there's only two markets that have not made all-time highs since 2000, sugar market, coffee market. It's only two markets that haven't made an all-time high. Maybe this is the year coffee joins the, the rest of the crew and makes an all-time high whether that's four five or six it depends upon exactly what happens with weather going forward but i do believe you know that this is a this is a one of the most if not the most serious supply demand disconnect in coffee that i've, I've ever seen in, in modern day times i mean you know maybe 150 years ago but we don't have good data to go by you know what i'm saying but right. uh but anyway, so that, that's, and by the way, that situation impacted the sugar market, drought, mm-hmm. and frost impact. The sugar market's taking off almost at 20 cents a pound now. Yeah. So that impacted the, uh, impacted the orange juice market. Remember these, all three, three, all three, sugar, orange juice, coffee are grown in that central Brazil area where the worst of the worst of the worst of the drought and the heat was for the entire growing cycle and where the frost was. So those, that tri- trifecta, sugar, OJ, coffee, are all being impacted by the same same thing, the same weather anomaly, double frost, drought, what, what's going to happen through the next growing cycle, and all three of them are moving in synchronicity right now at different rates, at different times, but they're all being impacted by the same weather phenomenon. Um, and so it's, it's really lighting up the soft market right now because of it. It's really lighting it up. So
0: Okay, so, <clears throat> excuse me, so Let's talk about sugar because sugar beet harvest is you know less early early dig is fifteen twenty days away here here in the Western Panhandle and in the U.S. it's about sixty percent of our overall sugar content comes from from sugar beets and but you t- you like you talked about on on previous podcasts the the sugar cane in Brazil again hot and dry and it was you know you know, devastating frost, those kind of things. Now, sugar cane, you, if you freeze it, it actually makes sugar content higher, but how many times can you freeze it before you mess it up type of thing? So there's, there's a couple of situations there. So I guess look at sugar market real quick and kind of give me your overall perspective on that.
1: Well, you're right. Uh, a freeze actually can improve the sugar content uh, in the plant if it's harvested quickly. Uh, if if you let it go too long, then then you actually it actually you, you don't you, you there's a, it actually is a it it goes in reverse. The problem is because of the virus down there, because of the lack of workers down there, um, uh, and because it was a double frost, <laughs> you know, um, which means you're not you're not gonna be harvesting anything when you're in a frost. Um, they, they haven't been able to harvest it quickly enough, and so some of the benefit you would get from getting a freeze in the in the sugarcane area has uh, not you know they, they they lost that edge um and and because of that they're actually, it's now becoming the frost is actually having more detriment than it's having a benefit because they've not been able to get out in the field and get it done um, and so 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 that situation and remember that goes on top of the sugar beet frost that took place in Europe earlier in the year, which took the top off the sugar beet crop there, which is a, another big producer of sugar in the world um So, you know, you throw in the U.S. weather problems that we've had and just, you know, Brazil's the number one producer, number one exporter in the world of sugar. So what happens in Brazil doesn't stay in Brazil, but it impacts all the other markets that feed off of what they do or don't do. And so differentially, everyone is now wondering, you know, what do we have to do, you know, to to, to get our sugar needs met? And so it's a mess. It's a real mess. And so... um, Obviously, all three markets—the orange juice market, the sugar market, and the coffee market—are on pins and needles, going through the next growing season, like the grains are. It just seems like Casey. Almost every market I'm looking at, there's no ending stocks. Yeah, we didn't get the job done this year. We're looking at huge shortages coming up, and um, you know, And remember, the sugar in sugar, sugar cane is not an annually planted crop either. You plant it, you get four cuts out of it, and then you make another decision. So it's a, it's a, it a, has a little more stickiness to it. Like then corn, soybeans, wheat, we just start from scratch every year and decide what you want to do. Not It's not really the case with sugar. You don't... Uh, so, um, now, don't get me wrong. Uh, it doesn't mean the markets never can correct. You know, sugar prices at 20 cents looks like a pretty good area of the market may... Falter here for a little while. I mean, there's, there's going to be price levels that the market is going to pause or back off or create some correct. I mean, farmers have to sell still. I mean, they still have to sell. Twenty cents a pound is double what it was a year ago. I mean, that's a good price for them. So I'm not, I don't want anyone to, to, to think that there's no downside in these markets. Of course there are, but overall, you know, I would, if I'm a buyer of sugar, if I'm a buyer of orange juice, if I'm a buyer of coffee. You know, I want to be protecting my upside price risks. The greater risks to me going forward over the next 6 to 12 months are upside price risks, not downside price risks. And, and so if I'm in the physical market, I want to make sure I don't get caught paying $0.30 cents for sugar or $3.50 for coffee or $2 a, $2 a gallon for orange juice. I want to make sure I don't get caught doing that. Um, so, so my advice for those in the on the buy side of these markets you know, get your physical. Get some physical in house. You know, get some cash bought purchases. You know, do whatever you have to to make sure that you can, you know, you can make you can continue to run your operations the way you like to. Because if if you get into a true supply pinch, you, know, you may not be able to actually get it at any price for a while. You know, mm-hmm. the, the seller just says I'm not. There's plenty of there's plenty of coffee, but not for you. You know, that's how it works.
0: So, yeah. well, that's a that's a recurring theme I've that we've, I've that we've heard here, uh, the last you know. Nine months about ending stocks, and and it's it's a it's a worldwide situation. It's not necessarily something just in the U.S. I mean, take a look what's going on in you know even even South America or South Africa. They are talking about the corn crop down there, and and there it's having its issues. You know, and not that South Africa is a you know the world's hinging on on anything down what happens with South African corn. But the point I'm making is that whether it's the southern tip of Africa or you know the black sea regions of of uh europe and and asia there there's just a lot of problems right now when you start looking at drought you know frost early freezes late freezes those kind of things and and uh you know the the stuff you've been talking about starting to kind of take place
1: yeah and and, and you know I I wish I had better news for the weather I really do I mean I I don't I don't take you know great joy at 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 predicting poor weather and poor crops and high food prices. I mean, I don't take great joy in it. My job is to get the forecast right, whether that, whether that, you know, I don't take great joy in that, but my job is to tell everyone, you know, what our research is suggesting. And our research is suggesting with the La Nina coming back with a vengeance in a Modakai phase, with the cold Pacific Ocean, with the cooling Atlantic Ocean, with the, you know, ongoing grand solar cycle minimum, it doesn't look good to me for the weather cycle over the next six to 12 months. It looks really, really uh, unfavorable. I, in fact, more volatile and worse. So I don't believe we're going to solve these supply problems in the next growing cycle. Um, I, I don't see it happening. I think the only, what, what's going to have to happen is every market is, has to determine what is the tipping point to where someone says, I'm just going to drink, two cups of coffee a day versus
0: four.
1: Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, I'm just, I'm going to drink more tea or I'm not going to go to Starbucks. Uh, I'm going to go into Starbucks once a week instead of three times. I a mean, week. Well, I'm just talking out loud, but every market has to decide what is that level that actually cuts demand down until a good weather year comes. And believe me, a good weather year is coming, just not this next crop cycle. Right. Um, we're actually fairly optimistic that we're going to have a better go of it the following crop cycle year, with where, where weather's actually going to back off, we're going to see some of these uh, variables improve the chances for better weather, better crops. Um, just not the next crop cycle. And so, the message I'm trying to convey is: if you're a farmer, if you're a producer, you know, and and you're looking, and remember, if you have a half a crop, you need double the price just to cover your cost. That's that's the reality. If you have a half a corn crop. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can make money at four before, you now need eight. Right. And that doesn't make any money, by the way. It just gets you to cover your expenses. I think a lot of people lo- lose sight of that idea that they say, well, the cost of production of coffee is $1.20 a pound. Well, that's true under normal production. But if you have half a crop, well, you need $240 right. for that farmer to cover his cost. He needs 240 So at 180 he's losing money. And if he's losing money, he ain't going to be putting a fertilizer down. That he needs, he's not going to be pruning that tree like he's supposed to. He's not going to be spraying for those bugs like he needs to because he did not have the money to do it, which then exacerbates the cycle, Casey. Until <coughs> you get prices high enough to where they can make some money, and the and the marginal buyer says, "I just I got to pull back on my consumption of this particular commodity." So that's what it looks like to me. Now, does it, uh, we can argue when will the market need to set that price? to to ration demand, you know, maybe it's the spring for corn, maybe it's the fall for coffee. I mean, you know, that's the, that's up to great debate. But I believe between now and next year at this time, every one of these markets will have found that level that rations demand that allows for us to get through this really ugly cycle and gets to the promised land when the weather improves, when the production improves, um, and we get our hands to where we actually start building some ending stocks again. The real trick and the real uh, uh, holy grail for the producer is when the time is right to get out and sell the forward year this coming cycle. Meaning, we believe we're going to make some pretty good tops in a lot of these markets for a while. You want to be able to sell your corn you know, one to two years out at that really, really whatever it is, ten dollar corn, twelve dollar, whatever it is, you wanna be able to sell out a year or two so that when your when the prices fall and your fertilizer prices fall and your seed prices fall and your cash price rents fall, because that's what happens when the market goes down, all these inputs go down, you've sold the higher price and you get the benefit of your lowering of your cost of production. That's what we did for our producer our customer producers in 2012 and 2008, we were able to get them two years sold when times were better so they could get the high price and they benefit from the lower input costs. That's what we're really going to be focusing on in this upcoming 12 months is picking the right time to make that recommendation to our producers. Because if they don't do that and they ride the the corn market from 12 down to 5 and they're selling $5 corn, they're still not going to be making a lot of money. And that's the whole point. The only way you can make a lot of money is you either have to buy your inputs first and then sell the high corn price, or you have to sell the high corn price and then buy your inputs cheaper later. You you have to do it at a different time so that you walk in the margin. If not, the market just takes that margin away from you as fast as it as it gave it to you.
0: You know. Yep. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. That's those are all really good points because especially I mean especially that I mean you grow. 300 bushel corn one year, and that's what you're kind of basing it off of, and you get X dollars for it. You have, if you grow you know, 150 or 200 bushel corn, you've got to have a significantly higher price just to make make the same margin or may, you know cover your costs, whatever it is. So all good stuff there, Sean. Um, folks want to reach out to you, get more information about what you're doing Hack of Financial. What's the best way to do that?
1: Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Interviews with you, with Real Vision, White papers, sample reports, give you a really clear understanding of what we do to see if if what we do could be of some value to your listeners.
0: Yeah, make sure you take advantage of that, guys. Go out and look at those those sample reports. You know, get a hold of Sean, get on his mailing list. The information that Sean puts out is is well worth your time and and well worth uh, your resources to to do that. So make sure you check that out. Sean, thanks for being on the podcast, man.
1: Thanks, you, Casey. Always love to be here, and we'll see you next week.
0: Right on, man. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you're going to find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast as well as any blog posts I have out there. Go to movingironllc.com, and for the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast, get posted there as well. Also, the entire library of the Moving Iron Podcast are out there as well. So if you want to go back to, what was it, December of 2018 when when Sean reached out to me and i'm like who is this tin foil hat wearing guy from florida talking to me about about corn prices and 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 solar solar's you know uh grand solar and those kind of things go back and listen to that and you can see where it all started so make sure you check that out also the moving iron summit coming up uh nashville tennessee pretty well sold out um might be an opportunity to uh, get, get a couple more people in, but for the most part, it's pretty well sold out. So if you still like to attend that, send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at MovingIronPodcast.com and I'll be uh, sure to get back to you with what's available. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour, Sean Hackett. Let's go with some iron folks. Out. You want to have a meaningful competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The reach of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer,